Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller. It is good to be with you tonight. Boy, we've had an overwhelming response from the last broadcast, and people have been bugging me, uh, especially this week. Many requests for us to breach this topic and come to grips with what exactly the fallen did following the protocol of Actus Reis. Let's get to the nuts and bolts of what actually happened, what the Book of Enoch actually brings out. In order to do so, we're going to be utilizing my son's translation of that text that he has keyed to Strong's. So, Aaron, let's get your opening thoughts. You know, what have you heard before? Um, what's always the main thing that's always talked about? But in your studies, what have you been able to find apart uh, from your translation? Um, well, the most common belief is either that they fell, these angels that are recorded in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, that they either fell through lust, lust or arrogance. Um, so there's a that there's a huge uh, debate on all that. And um, like we discussed in the last show, um, I believe that it was a little bit of both, um, but in a different way. Um, so we know from what the uh, from what the text says here and book of Enoch, um, they were doing some very peculiar things and uh, um, very important. So I analyzed my text, and once I have this published, you'll all be able to see how I tried to make sense of all of these things, as most translations would, would use witchcraft for interpretations of all these words. I I myself has taken the initiative to find a more um, logical point of view, perhaps something that is more feasible. So I translated this a little, little differently from the, the common way. And once, once you see what, what I'm about to read, maybe you could maybe ponder in your mind what they were really doing, what these fallen angels were doing. So I'm going from the top of um, uh, Enoch chapter chapter 7. Well, before we get into that, well, let me ask you this. Aaron, this translation you're doing, it's key to strong, so they'll be able to take these words for themselves 
and hammer it out with their a Strong's concordance. Is that correct? Yes. Um, even even with the words that are um, not present present in the Greek New Testament um, and are compound words, I have broken them apart to key them to the different Strong's numbers. So you will still be able to understand what those words are saying, even if they're in Greek compounds that aren't don't appear in the New Testament. Um, and another thing is there are some words that are not present in either the Greek New Testament or Old Testament at all. So I had to um, assign my own strong number, Strong's numbers um, and such, and I had to uh, move them around. But I, with these new Strong's numbers I put together, I have I'm going to place them in the back of the book in the in the appendix, so you can look over. You can look over these things and um, check the other lexicons from of the Greek where I was getting my definitions from. Well, very good. I want to expand just a little bit, if I may. Is that all right? Yes, go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, my son and I have been doing work in the background, and I have, since 2010 pondered about how I was going to fully reveal the information about the draconic duo. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to come to grips that the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth are Satan's two witnesses. And you have to come to grips with the simple fact that the beast comes out of the abyss just in the same way he went in. He's not going to come out in his angelic, stellar attire. He's going to be clothed in the flesh. He himself donned and polluted himself with the blood of women. Aaron and I have already shed a little bit of light on another program, Pushing the Envelope. The simple fact that it's right there in front of your face, that second beast, the false prophet, could very well be raising from the dead. Take note. That's exactly what the beast is going to be doing, and when he exits the abyss, he will have similar powers to a resurrected body. The real question is, is that, does this event happen exactly three and a half days after the great day of Hugh sitteth upon the throne. That is for further research. But I want you all to consider this. Coming to grips with their acts, what they did, do you not realize that's exactly what they're going to do? And I'm going to tell you why. The flood took place, ladies and gentlemen. The scapegoat was cast into the abyss because he was not permitted to do what he wanted to do. You need to come to grips with how terrifying the tribulation truly is going to be. Don't you realize that Satan hands his authority over to him? And the scapegoat gets to rule and reign exactly as he wanted to. This is going to seem to the world 
that Satan is acting as God. God did not permit him to run amok, but Satan is going to. With that in mind, as my son begins, you need to come to grips with that. That what Aaron's really going to be covering is exactly what he intends to do for 1,260 days. Aaron, you have the mic. All right, so you were mentioning, before I get into this, you were mentioning um, the the three entities there, the um, the beast from the abyss, the beast um, from the earth, and uh, Satan himself. So, um, and then you mentioned Satan running amok and Azazel ruling. Um, so, um, could we connect some points about what, is Azazel apart from Satan? Because I have assigned Azazel as the same as um, Halel in um, Isaiah chapter 14. I believe him to be that same Halel, translated in Latin as Lucifer. I believe Azazel actually to be him, but I believe that Satan is not the same entity. So do you? how do you think Satan had... A coral, has a correlation between him as he did in that day and how he will in the latter days. Satan's position remains because you are quite correct. If the text you referred to, the one mentioning Hillel, if that had been Satan, Satan would have lost his position. The Lord Jesus Christ certainly would have offered him umbrage when he come to tempt him. And everyone that calls themselves a Christian needs to come to grips with this. Jesus did not argue with Satan when he offered him all of the kingdoms because they were his. That was not up for debate. Ladies and gentlemen, all the bad stuff you assign to Satan, you need to come to grips with that. If that be true, you're saying that God lets him sin in his position... Oh, I think not. So really, I think the best description of this whole thing is with Caiaphas and Judas. Caiaphas didn't do anything. He sold Judas out. And was so, as um, I firmly believe, Azazel is Satan's pawn doing all his dirty work. And I believe that's what he did before he was cast into this. And I think that's what he will do in the last days. Um, as as uh, Revelation chapter 13 says that this beast from the sea slash beast from the abyss, he's named both in the book of Revelation, he, Satan will give his authority to him in that day because he's his pawn. Because Satan wants to keep his garment clean like Caiaphas. And um, I, I guess I wanted to make sure we covered that um, because um, before I get any further, um, I'm just going to um, mention a book, uh, mention something else in the book of Enoch, which isn't present in my translation. I'm going to be reading from the top of um, Charles's translation. This is a part that is not present in the Greek text, so I couldn't give a translation of my own for this. So this is uh, chapter 54 of Book of Enoch. 
and it says, um, and it says that the Lord will, the Lord of Spirits may take vengeance on them for their unrighteousness in becoming subject to Satan and leading astray those who dwell on the earth. Okay, so Azazel, what he did was he and his angels became subject to Satan. And I think we might want to cover this on one point that I believe some of Satan's angels came and directly aided Azazel in his work. So um, I just wanted to keep that clear to all you guys, that this was all a master plan, okay? And I'm not even sure if Azazel was completely into it, because Satan was using him, and Satan will use him. And as we know, in the last days, when Azazel is cast into the lake of fire, Satan is all on his own. That's right. And, and that's when, when he comes out at the millennial reign of Christ, Satan will have to commit the sin himself. And therefore, for that sin, he will be cast into the lake of fire with them, because he has no more pawns. Well, exactly, which facilitates the role as scapegoat, doubly so. And do you, what do you think Satan was doing? What do you think his agenda is in the last days? His agenda in the last days is to truly seize control of the entire operations of the planet. It is his design to not just be given charge over the earth. Now, we have to come to grips with what that means. Ladies and gentlemen, the angels aren't going to force you to obey the law and hold to the testimony because God doesn't want robots. And he never did. You cannot force someone to do your will. If you do so, you'll never have their, your heart. God wants your heart. Satan wants to force his will. And if you read the book of Revelation... That's exactly what happens. His primary mode for this is the pyramid scheme. That is the reason why you cannot buy or sell without his mark. So literally speaking, ladies and gentlemen, Satan is going to completely exercise control over this planet for the first time during those 1,260 days, during this time, times and a half time, during this 42 months. I suggest that all of you who have not watched the first show, um, which was Mens Rea, um, uh, the show preceding this present one, which is at, we are actually doing part two of that, I suggest that you all go back and uh, listen to that one and see what we're really following up on. And I think what my dad here is saying is that Satan's agenda was to take control of the earth as those fallen angels in that day were trying to do. And so he was only using Azazel as his pawn to achieve that. So um, with all that, 
Uh, all being said, I'm going to get into the uh, dig deep into what our studies um, have yielded um, for this present show, Actus Reus. And um, so, are we ready? We are, son. I think we've dropped a ton of information on everybody's head already. Uh, they didn't realize that what we're about ready to cover, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what they wanted to do. And that's exactly what Satan is going to permit them to do. So you better set up and pay very close attention to when my son gives cross-references to these words into the Bible, God's Holy Word. And you need to come to grips with that. All your science fiction movies, all of your horror movies, and more to the point, all of your science fiction horror movies like Alien. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you need to repent of your rebellion. You need to hold to the law, which is the, the Ten Commandments that God wrote with His own finger, and with the Beatitudes what Christ lived with his own life. Because you only think in your mind things can get bad. But please remember, ladies and gentlemen, God tells death to flee from them. And he literally takes what everybody wants. Just like King Saul. He takes what everybody wants and shoves it down their throat. And they're not even permitted to die and escape the torment with death. Revelation chapter 9. So, you might want to take notes. You might want to set up. Because what my son is really going to reveal is exactly what they intend to do. And they intend to use these machinations to answer your prayers. Aaron, let's get this shindig started. All right, so this is Enoch chapter uh, 7, verse 1, according to my translation. And each of them took for themselves wives of their choice of women and proceeded to go into them and defile them and teach them pharmaceuticals and enchantments and root cutting and showed them botany. Okay. Um. So the first thing you want to go, you're probably thinking of is pharmaceuticals. Okay. And, 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 me and my dad had a length um, study on trying to translate this word for what it is. And that word um, is pharmakia, okay? And it is, uh, in the Strong's Dictionary, uh, G5331, okay? And it means, it is usually translated as sorcery, okay? And, but... It actually comes from the Greek word um, uh, pharmakos, which means a drug. Okay, it means a drug or a potion. And of course, we know that, um, uh, as we probably know in all our fiction movies where the witches are putting together some potion, that's why it's led to um, be translated as sorcery. Um, and that's what it became, I think, by the time of, by the time of, uh, Christ in the early church, that it became basically just myth. But when we go back, this is thousands of years when these angels came and taught this pharmacia. 
And it means drugs. Okay? Literally. So, um, so we decided to translate this word pharmacias into pharmaceuticals. We know what pharmaceuticals are. You can go to your pharmacy and get drugs for, um, whatever medical reasons or, um, or whatever. That's, that's where you get your medical aid. Um, is from a pharmacy. So, um, with that being said, the first thing they taught here in this verse is pharmaceutical. Then it says the, they taught enchantments. Um, now, I'm still struggling on that translation myself. Um, and I'm still wondering if I should make a final edit to it before um, we finally publish it. But it comes from, it's a compound word, uh, G1909, uh, first one, and it means with or upon. And um, the second word is G5603, which is, you might be surprised at what the answer is. Ode. Okay, it means a chant or an ode. And um, something that um, is evident is the difference here um, between ode and the word psalm, psalmos, G5568, and um, hymnos, which is where we get the word hymn, 5215. Those two refer especially to music. But ode means a chant. You're speaking something. And enchantment means that you're saying something. You're chanting something. And according to uh, legend, if you say a certain thing, something will happen. You see that in in um, your fantasy movies all the time. Um, the witches or sorcerers or whatever will use um, words to make magic happen or things to happen. So I took this word apart and it means to go with an ode, to go with a chant. So I guess enchantment is the, just the best word to say. But I think it goes a little deeper because, because we know that the Kabbalists today, the, um, Jewish mystics, they have written lengthy texts on the letters in the Hebrew language and how to pronounce them because first and foremost, the Hebrew language has no vowels. It's all made up of consonants. So the Kabbalists are trying to are constantly trying to figure out how to pronounce those consonants because the consonants have been lost in time, people, okay? After constant persecution, language, the language of Hebrew was lost and only recently has been revived. And still, they don't know how to pronounce it. And what the Kabbalists are setting out to do is trying to figure out how to use that, manipulate. They believe that the Hebrew language is um, the language that God spoke when he created the world. Okay, They believe that if they were to speak those same words that, that 
God said when he created reality, in a way, they think that if they speak those same words, they can basically play God. They can make things come in reality. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know if I should say play God, but they think they can manipulate reality as it is through the Hebrew language. I'm not entirely with the idea that the God, language God spoke is Hebrew. I think I think it was some sort of language it is the language that will be granted to us in the last days. But I guess that's still up to debate. So um, we we see in movies where they're usually chanting something. I think it's usually Latin that the that the witches are speaking. I think most um, most enchantments are in Latin. Am I correct? Yes, most most modern enchantments are in Latin. Um, and why? Why? Why Latin of all languages? <laughs> well, that's not hard to figure out now, is it, Aaron? Um, all magic stems from the Kabbalist. Um, all magic does, period. So, with that same corruption, um, they did the same thing with the Latin. They wanted to try to get as close to, well, what the church was using as possible, or the ecclesia, shall I say. Yes, and that became, Latin became the official language of the Catholic Church. That was what they ch they chanted in, that's what they spoke in Mass, and all that. So, I, I guess, they began to believe that the holy language was Latin. So that's why the witches were going with Latin, because they think that they thought that if they were to speak the holy language, they would be able to manipulate just the same as the Kabbalists did. That's correct. And we need to get into the other side of this too, ladies and gentlemen. This very well could be uh, angelic use, once again, of tools. Or, more importantly, we're going to have to get into one of those words, implements. Because there is no doubt when the seven angels sound their trumpets, creation is affected. No doubt about it. We know that this is one of the keys to a certain group, as in the book of Revelation, only they can learn this particular song. Only they have the authority to exercise that uh what do i how do i want to put that um only they have the right to exercise that dominion and the rest of us will forever be left wondering because even in the kingdom of heaven they alone know the song and that song obviously does something mechanical in the kingdom of heaven so this goes into a lot of what they're figuring out right now with harmonics. A lot of people are doing mechanical things with harmonics, and they make um, – well, you can make different wave patterns with even water when you use harmonics. Uh, it is quite possible to uh, – well, even shatter a crystal. Everybody knows that. So whatever it is is going on here, uh, they intend on using it much like the pharmaceuticals. We've already mentioned it in this program. They're going to be using these things to answer people's prayers, ladies and gentlemen. 
and you all need to come to grips with that and we need to bring you know something else up my son already went over uh the pharmaceuticals but take note ladies and gentlemen that's the same exact word for the scapegoat ritual same word the scapegoat ritual that was practiced in greece they the pharmacos ritual in greece was um basically casting sin on a man and either torturing or killing that person well yes and we have that aaron why do you think that if you don't take the mark of the beast you get beheaded they're practicing pharmakos scapegoating it's what they're doing ladies and gentlemen the 144,000 that have been sealed by God, well, as Isaiah chapter 48 plainly states, that their necks become like iron and their foreheads like brass. Because they've been sealed by God, they cannot take the beast mark. So what does he do? He, well, he scapegoats them. Because after the great day of Hugh setteth upon the throne... Ladies and gentlemen, please take a read of Revelation chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 24. God makes no qualms in coming right out and telling you that from that point, ladies and gentlemen, you know exactly what's going to happen. God tells everybody supernatural that all the details that's what's going to happen to you, he tells you. He has no problem telling you. So, you have to realize that they know that the reason they're in such agony and, well, they can't die, is that God is doing this to them. Because of that, they do what? They get back at God by decapitating those that hold to the law and to the testimony. I mean, what Aaron just described is exactly... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it... It stumps me sometimes as to why people don't ask why. I mean, they they ask why about everything under the heavens except God's word. Why do you think that the beast cuts their heads off? Why do you think you cannot buy or sell without the mark? Why just that? Why aren't you allowed to sleep? Or why aren't you allowed to rest? Or take a Sabbath. Why aren't you allowed to drink water? Why is it you're only not permitted to buy and sell, ladies and gentlemen? It's scapegoating exactly what Aaron just described. Now, the next one may very well blow the top of your head off. It's going to blow your mind where this goes in the New Testament. So... With this in mind, the acoustic manipulation of matter is real. You really can manipulate matter with acoustics. With that in mind, Aaron, back to you. Well, I wanted to mention that um, that same word uh, for ode or whatever is his present in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 when it says, And they sang a new song. Okay. Those angels in heaven sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood 
from every men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they reign upon the earth. Well, Aaron, now that you added that, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise you one. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? This word here. You better come to grips with this because it's in Isaiah chapter 47 twice. Twice. Let me read verse 9. But these two things shall come upon you in a moment, in one day. Now what's that day, ladies and gentlemen? The great day of you sitteth upon the throne. That's Isaiah chapter 24. That's the sixth seal event in Revelation chapter 6. The loss of children and widowhood. In their full measure they shall come upon you, in the multitude of your sorceries and great abundance of your, right there it is, enchantments. This acoustical chant. Now, down in Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 12. Stand now with all your enchantments and with the multitude of your sorceries. Now, why did he say that? Let me remind you yet again. God commands death to flee from you. Verse 12, stand now with your enchantments and with the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. If so, be you shall profit, able to profit. If so, you may prevail. Did you not hear what he just said? Did You can't buy or sell, ladies and gentlemen. He does – this is – well, I'm going to have to say what I said a little while ago. He's literally saying that, oh, you're going to stand, you can't die, and I'm going to shove them down your throat. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. It's real. This is not a science fiction horror flick. This is real. I'll read it one more time. Stand now with your enchantments and with the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. If so be, you shall be able to profit. If so be, you may prevail. Ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind everybody what this chapter is. I mean, a lot of people may have forgotten what it's about. Let me read verse 1. Maybe it'll jar your memory. Come down and sit in the dust, virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without the throne, daughter of the Canadians. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is about the Queen of Babylon. And everything I described to you, I brought out with just one verse. You were only able to see it because my son took the time. He took the labor to put this particular word in your hands in the Strongs. You won't need any preacher, teacher, pastor, whatever. You can get this copy, look at that Strongs number, what my son has given to you, look it up, and go look up where this word is either in the Septuagint or the Adito Regia. So you're going to be able to do this yourself. Wait till the next word, because it's really going to blow your mind. Aaron, I just wanted to add that in there because you expanded on it 
So I replied with my own verse where that's at in the Bible. Now, I guess I kind of cheated a little bit because I gave you two verses, but they were in the same chapter. The chapter of the Queen of Babylon. And that's where you're going. And God just told everybody, oh, you're going to stand. And let's see if you make profit off of it now. I actually think that we should read Isaiah chapter 47 completely, the whole thing, um, with because there's several of the same words in this verse um, present in there. So I think I'll get to that last. We're going to read that lastly. Um, so before I go any further, um, do you think um, – when when I do my correlations with different translations, should should I um, go back and edit these words real quick so that they match up to my translation, those same words, so that we know what we're talking about? That is up to you. It's not my translation. It's yours. God is using you, not me. Yes, I'm making edits and going over it and making sure that this is right and that's right. And you're not way off base. But the Lord is not with me, Aaron. I'm not doing the translation you are. So you need to do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do, son. Okay, so... so go ahead. So, uh, you know, the main translation uh, that a lot of people use is the Thompson translation. And... Uh, those that are in the East, they like the Britons better because, uh, more importantly, they use the Greek Bible. So when it comes to Jeremiah, you look at the Britons' translation, it is ordered after the Septuagint because they're in a different order. So it all depends on where you're at, but uh, you can also get the Thompson's uh, key to Strong, so that would probably help too. But they also have several other options that they have, but... You just need to do what the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. He's going to tell you what to do. You just have to make the best decision with what you have. you got to do what I've always taught you to do, son. Do what you can, when you can, to the best of your ability. So, if you want to read Isaiah chapter tw uh, 47, which translation are you going to use, son? Here, here in my document, I used um, King James, but to smooth that out a little, I just went and replaced. Uh, this is this wasn't very hard. I have a computer program here that will find and replace for me, so I replaced all thou to you and thine to your or yours. So um, we're gonna read that. I'm, I did that so we can read that out a little smooth, more smoothly. We've wanted to go more towards using um, another more modern translation that still is in the public domain. Um, uh, and, and we were thinking about using the W.E.B. Bible for that. But presently, I, um, I don't have that key to Strong's on my computer. So, um, so basically, what I'm going to be reading to you is going to be an updated version, a personally updated version of the um, King James Version, and I edited all those words to match with my translation so you know what I'm talking about, what the words are when I say them. Okay. Um, wait, no, I take that back. I'm sorry. Um, I also used um, 
I also use the uh, Brenton's translation here for the um, Old Testament. No, I actually, I feel bad that I should go check this because it might be Thompson's. Well, the point being that you update, updated it for the intention of clarity, correct? Correct. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing, son. So I made sure to, um, I actually went through and found that I used several translations here. Um, I also used some for the WEB and, uh, some for the, um, Brenton's translation. So, um, but basically if I'm editing it this, like this, it's basically my translation. So, um, anyway, uh, I'm altering them so you can tell what I'm really saying, what the text really saying in, in the Greek. So at least you could understand what I'm about to say. Okay, um, so, um, with all that being said, um, I will proceed to the other words, um, here. And the, and one of the big ones that astounded so many people who've tried to translate the book of Enoch is that in the same verse, um, Enoch chapter 7 verse 1, it says, um, that they also taught root cutting. If you go to, um, uh, Enoch chapter 8, it further says that this is more specifically what Semyaza himself taught. He also taught enchantments. Um, so, uh, what is this root cutting? I took a really long time trying to figure this out, okay? Because people were thinking, of course, translators were thinking, there's some sort of sorcery that's root cutting. And none of them found anything none of them found anything conclusive to what that's talking about. So, actually, while we were um, still doing mens rea last time, while we were in the process of broadcasting, I actually sent a message via Skype to my dad saying, what if this root cutting is talking about genetic engineering? And I think he went, that same night, he went back and looked for that word in the New Testament. And I think I might have gone to to different places. So he might have some other results that I did than what I did. So, but I'm going to read what I found. That word root, root cutting, that, that is actually a compound word in Greek for um, G4491 and uh, G5. 114, if you want to go and look at that yourself. That compound is not present in the New Testament, but I broke it down for you. So I went with the word root, okay? And you're going to be surprised at what I found here. I'm going to go straight to Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Then I will go on to Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open this book and loose its seven seals. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. 
I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. Okay, and you know, if you go back to um, other shows that I've done, and uh, within this program, and also within um, Pushing the Envelope, which we also have with Brian Ingram, um, we are talking about how this false prophet, the Ethereum, who's called the Beast of the Earth in the uh, Book of Revelation, is trying to mimic Christ. He is a false Christ, literally an Antichrist. Um, so, this axe that is laid at the root of the trees, um, uh, what is, this is actually quoting what John the Baptist said. Even now, also, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. This is what he was saying to the Pharisees when he called them brood, a brood of vipers. Every tree which bringeth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, could you give us the, um, the cross reference to, in the Old Testament, to the connection with the Assyrian and God's axe? Can you give us that cross re- reference? No, I think it's beautiful if you do. I have something else I want to share. So I'm reading this time from the NASB. Um, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 15. It says, Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? Or shall the club be... Or That would be like a club wielding those lift it, for the rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease against among his stout warriors. And this entire chapter, chapter 10, is dedicated to the simple fact that Assyria is God's axe. So, I'm going to throw this in here, and it's probably going to throw everybody a curve, ladies and gentlemen. Romans chapter 15, verse 12. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse. Yes, G4491. It is only talking in this instance of genetics, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. He expands upon this in a whole lot of other verses throughout the New Testament. About your root supposed to be firmly established in Christ. We know that we are the temple, ladies and gentlemen. We are a temple to the Holy Spirit. We are blocks. We are stones, precious stones in that superstructure. So, ladies and gentlemen, he may very well be speaking here of gene splicing, genetic manipulation. There is no way you can get around Romans chapter 15, verse 12. Now, That being said, ladies and gentlemen, what on earth are they going to be doing that's going to cause these, well, sores, these boils to appear on them 
in the tribulation. Now, we've already talked about in prior episodes a simple fact that the text plainly states that they polluted themselves with the blood of women. The clothing process goes both ways, ladies and gentlemen. Aaron, back to you. With with all that being said, um, this very well be talking about genetic engineering. And um, this ends here. The, that ver uh, the verse we're talking about here in Enoch ends with, and showed them botany. And that, um, well, I think we're going to go back and um, maybe uh, touch on those other things a little bit more, as as uh, I mentioned. But let's just kind of describe what it means by um, why they taught them botany, okay? This is very well known um, among pagan uh, texts uh, alike. Okay, that their gods came to the earth and taught taught their the ways of um, making uh, making crops where to plant when to when to plant them. Okay, and um, this is present in the Quetzalcoatl myth of Aztec culture. It was believed that he came to North America and taught them marriage and cooking with fire. Okay. Also, we know in Greek mythology how Prometheus st stole fire from heaven and gave it to man. Um, further, uh, Eusebius, uh, um, an early church leader, um, wrote a chronicle known as Eusebius' Chronicle, and he chronicled what, um, what the Greeks, what the Assyrians believed at that time what happened in creation, what what happened before the flood. Because go to any religion, okay, any anywhere on the planet, they all agreed that a flood occurred, a flood happened. Because it did happen. But um they they described that this happened before the flood. It says that now I'm reading from Eusebius's Chronicle, Book 1, uh, Part 4. And it says, Now it happened that in the first year, in the confines of Babylonia, there emerged from the Red Sea an awesome creature named Oannes. As Apollodorus relates in his book, this being had the complete body of a fish. Yet by the fish's head was another appropriate human head. And by the tail there were a pair of human feet. And it could speak human language. A picture and likeness of Oannes has been preserved to this day. Yes, you can look up what Oannes looks like, and it is Dagon. He further states that this creature kept company with humans during the day, completely abstaining from any kind of food, instructing people in letters. It's kind of interesting how it says letters. And the techniques of different arts, arts including city and temple building, the knowledge of laws, the nature of weights and measures, how to collect seeds and fruits. Indeed, he taught mankind, humankind, everything necessary for de domestic life on earth. From the time on, no one 
no one individual has discovered more. Now when the sun went down, Wanny's creature once again returned to the sea, remaining until the morning the vast expanse of waters. Thus it lived the life of an amphibian. Subsequently, other creatures came forth, as the book of the king, the kings make clear. Furthermore, it is said that Oannes wrote about deeds and virtues giving mankind's words and wisdom. Well, let's go back to the beginning, okay? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to read from the web translation, the W-E-B, World English Bible, as my son mentioned before. It is in the public domain, and it's a pretty good translation. The biggest problem I have with it is that it tries to pronounce the name of the Lord my God. So when it does so, I will just super implant that with Lord if I'm reading it. If I'm writing it, I will just correct it and put in Y-H-V-H. But uh, this is the web translation for Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. And God saw the earth and saw that it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Let's get a commentary on that. Let's get a com let's come to grips with what God is actually talking about, shall we? So let's go to uh uh well, let's go back to the flood. Okay, let's go uh, back to whenever all this happened. Uh, let's go to uh 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh well, we'll start reading, let's see, it's it's all explained about 35, so we'll start there. But someone will say, how were the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish one, that which you yourself sow is not made alive unless it dies. That which you sow, you don't sow the body that will be, but bear grain, maybe of wheat, or some other kind. But God gives it a body even as it pleased him, and to each seed a body of its own. All flesh is not the same. But there is one flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial differs from that of the terrestrial. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Now, it goes on to list a complete diatribe. This is the point. He's stating very clearly here that in the flood they corrupt they corrupted the genetic material, the flesh. They corrupted all flesh, ladies and gentlemen. You just have to come to grips with what it's saying. And that's exactly what this text is is leading me to believe this root cutting is, and botany is splicing. It's crossbreeding. Now, Aaron, we are over the hour mark for this episode. We're going to have to call it quits on this one. And we've only got through the first verse. Is that correct? Yep, and... Um... 
with what you were saying about genetics, chapter 7 does elaborate a little more on that. Yes, it does indeed, and we're going to have to... Well, we will. We will cover that. But, ladies and gentlemen, I know we relate a whole lot of introductory information to you. And that took some time, so this is obviously going to have to take a part two. I apologize for that. But, ladies and gentlemen, you just need to come to grips with what's going to happen. God stopped this from happening but the dragon is going to let them do what they intended to do. Unfortunately, if you don't repent of your rebellion and you're alive when this event takes place, it's going to happen to you and there's no reason for it. There's just no reason for it. Aaron, your closing comments, please. I just wanted to say, let, let all of the listeners know that Sometimes uh, me and my dad do not um, cite ourselves um, when we mention Bible verses and things like that, because um, sometimes we seem to expect that everybody knows where they're at or what we're talking about, and uh, I'm assuming most people don't. So if you, any of you people are wondering or have questions on what we're actually citing, please, please send us a message so we'll, we will clarify. Yes, we will. Make no mistakes about it. I will respond to you. It may take me some time. It may take me a couple of weeks, but I will respond, no doubt about it. So, Aaron, your goodbyes, please. See you all. God bless. Ladies Until next and, time. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian Conspiracy Theory, signing off. <laughs>